It's a blessing to have each of you here today, and certainly as we look into our series this morning, we're continuing in the Who is Jesus series, and we're going to answer that question this morning by looking at Jesus as an example of personal evangelism. We're going to see that Jesus definitely has meaningful, gospel-centered conversations with people. He does it in everyday life. He engages them with everyday things in his conversations, all for the purpose of sharing with them the good news of his gospel. As we look at that and we look at the words that Jesus left to his first century followers, that uh, he said to them, as you know, there in Matthew 28, we call it the Great Commission. But he says there that he wants them that as they go about, he wants them to make disciples. He wants them to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He wants them to teach them all things that they had been taught by Jesus. And he says that he is going to be with them to the end of the world. He's going to promise them his presence. And we are certainly thankful for that. And we embrace that text of Scripture not just to something that we leave in the first century, but to something that really defines the mission of the church today. It really is the marching orders for the church today. When we say that, we're not talking about the church in a corporate sense, that it belongs to the corporation. No, it belongs to individuals who make up the body of Christ. We are supposed to go about in our daily lives making disciples. And so we want to talk about that with you today, and we want to see the example of Jesus. We're going to see that in John in two chapters. We we read one chapter already, and then we're going to look at chapter 4 as well. And in a few moments, I'll read to you some verses from chapter 4. As we talk about sharing the gospel and engaging people with gospel conversations, or as many have called it, personal evangelism, There are a lot of people who think that the focus should be on a number of conversions, that that equals success. So if you want to see how successful a missionary is, let's say, who's gone to remote parts of the world, you kind of want to see how many people have come to Christ or how many people are in their church as a result of their gospel witness. Well, I just want to steer you away from that because we are not responsible for results. God says that we're supposed to sow seed and water seed, and who gives the increase, church? God gives increase. We don't give the increase, but we are faithful in our sowing of the gospel seed, and we are faithful in watering that seed. That would be ongoing contact with people who need Jesus. We're watering that seed. But the one who's responsible for the quote-unquote numbers is not man, it's God. In fact, the Scripture is clear that God is in the business of, in His sovereign will, drawing people to Himself for salvation. He says that clearly in John's Gospel. We're not the ones who do the drawing. We are instruments in His hands, and we're supposed to be having Gospel conversations, but at the end of the day, it is faithfulness in the process that defines success for believers. Mark Dever wrote a book the gospel and personal evangelism. I want to share with you a few quotes that he has shared. He said it this way, we don't fail in our evangelism if we faithfully tell the gospel to someone who is not converted. We fail only if we don't faithfully tell the gospel at all. Evangelism isn't 
itself isn't converting people. It's telling them they need to be converted and telling them how they can be. So again, we're not responsible for the results. God is. But there are many who struggle with that. You can read the biographies of many missionaries who spent years, maybe decades of their life in some place of the world without anyone being converted. That doesn't mean that they weren't successful. It just means that God was using them in, a, in quite a unique way to just sow seed and maybe water seed. And at a later time, the increase will come. As we look at engaging others with gospel conversations and telling others about Jesus and the gospel, there will be those who will struggle to find the right balance. Some will focus on numbers, but others will, will struggle to find the right balance. Again, quoting from Dever's book, The Gospel and Personal Evangelism, he gives us these things. So that's the balance that we want to see. Honesty, urgency, and joy. These are three critical characteristics. He goes on to say, honesty and urgency with no joy gives us a grim determination. That's not what you want when you're sharing the gospel, a grim determination. People need to see the joy of Jesus in you emanating from your life because it's made a difference in you. You know, there are some things that rob our joy that make it difficult for us to engage in gospel conversations in a joyful way, right? You may be experiencing that right now. Just the culture in which we live can rob our joy. And if we're not careful, we can be rather angry personal evangelists as we go out to talk to people, right? We struggle at times to separate people from maybe the positions that they take. We see a lot of anti-Christian, anti-gospel stuff going on in the world today. But as we go about making disciples, it is our job and our duty and our sacred responsibility to separate the people from those things, realizing that changing their mind about those things is not the essential need that they have. The essential need that they have is to know Jesus. And if I let who they are or what they say or where they stand on current issues of the day be an impediment to me in sharing them the gospel in an inviting, joyous way, then shame on me. I have some work that I need to do. We don't go out into the world with an angry disposition, offending people. It needs to be done with joy, not grim determination. Dever goes on to say, honesty and joy with no urgency gives us a carelessness about time. Isn't that true? We really don't have all the time in the world. The clock is ticking, isn't it? Don't we believe that? That Jesus could return at any time, that his return is imminent, and our time to make disciples on this earth will come to an end. We must operate with urgency. And urgency and joy with no honesty leads us into distorted claims about immediate benefits of the gospel. What ends up happening there is that we preach a social gospel. We're urgent and we're joyful, but we lack honesty. So we ask people, do you want a better life? Okay, believe in Jesus. Or maybe we buy into the prosperity gospel and we say, do you want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise? Okay, pray this prayer and and believe in Jesus, and all of that comes as a result. Well, you can be as urgent and joyful as you want to be, but if you preach that gospel, it converts no one. 
And still, many will want to focus on wrong things as they share the gospel. Some struggle with numbers, others struggle with the right balance. But then there are others who, whose focus doesn't stay where it needs to say, and the gospel message suffers as a result of that. What do I mean by this? When our eyes fall from God to humanity, social ills replace sin. Horizontal problems replace the fundamental vertical problem between us and God. That's powerful. You see, we're going to see from Jesus not so much in these texts, but we're going to recall today together Jesus going around doing a lot of miraculous things. We, we looked at this together before. He meets physical needs. Uh, he meets health needs. He, he feeds people. He, he does all kinds of cool things in miraculous ways. But was he just focusing on feeding people and healing people? No. Those were tools in his hand. Jesus did not go about making disciples in an effort to be known as a humanitarian. That's not why he was here. He did humanitarian things. He provided humanitarian aid to people, but all of those things were in an effort and for the purpose of sharing the gospel. And the church must resemble that today. It's okay to go to remote places of the world and, and build church buildings or school buildings or hospitals or refugee camps. All of that is good. But none of those things should be an end to themselves. Every one of those things should be fully dedicated to and utilized for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the example that Jesus gives us. So don't lose focus. With honesty and urgency and joy. We need to embrace our responsibility to make disciples. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Think about that. You're either claiming to be something that you're not, or you are doing what a Christian does. You're either a missionary or an imposter. Urgency is so important, isn't it, in this? and joy, and honesty. I like what Leonard Ravenhill said. Could a mariner sit idle if he heard the drowning cry? Could a doctor sit in comfort and just let his patients die? Could a fireman sit idle and let men burn and give no hand? Can you sit there at ease in Zion with the world around you damned? You see, Jesus was a leader in every way. With humble acts of service, profound insight, and piercing love, the Savior met people where they were and led them to the glory of heaven. If we want to do effective outreach, we must let the Master mentor us. If we want to see lasting kingdom fruit, we must walk in the dust of the rabbi and listen and watch and learn. This is how Jesus taught the first disciples, and it is how he still instructs his people today. So what do we learn from Jesus? Will you join me in John chapter 4? We've read John chapter 3, a good part of it. I want to read another portion from John 4, another narrative. Slightly different conditions, a totally different person, right? Everything basically different about this, except for the mainstay of Jesus and how he interacted with people for the sake of 
giving them the gospel and speaking to their real need. In John chapter 4, we come to chapter 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. What do we learn from Jesus? In the account in John 3, as well as in this account in John 4, the first thing that I want to point out to you that we learn from Jesus in these encounters is that Jesus would start where people are. You'll notice you don't have any blanks to fill in today, nothing on the screens. It's a little bit of an unplugged service today. Just write down things that are meaningful for you. To start where people are. You see, Jesus engages Nicodemus, and he engages the woman at the well. They were both in dramatically different stages in their journey, in their life. They were dramatically different people, but that did not dissuade Jesus from connecting with them and pushing them towards spiritual truth so that they could have salvation from their sin. Nicodemus, far different than the woman at the well 
very well educated, very religious and knowledgeable. The woman at the well, a very immoral woman, uh, probably not so educated as Nicodemus, of course. And Jesus met her just like he met Nicodemus. It didn't matter to him, did not matter to him at all. When these people were ready and no matter where they were, Jesus met them and talked to them and pushed them to the answers for their spiritual needs. Nicodemus comes at night, the woman in the middle of the day in the blistering heat, and Jesus is available to talk these things. You know, both were curious and open to conversation. They ask questions. He answers them. He asks questions. Basic daily dialogue about some everyday things with a connection to spiritual truth, and Jesus speaks into their curiosity and open conversation with powerful, life-transforming truth. And I want to say to you today that there has never been a better time, I don't think, than now to do this with our culture. Culture is talking. You ever, you've been in some dialogue with people lately about what's going on in the world? People are willing to discuss what is happening. Uh, I find this all the time in my interactions with people. They want to know things. Many of them ask my opinion on things because they know who I am. I have neighbors that do this. I have friends in the community that do this. They want to know, what do you think about this? And all this stuff that seems to be so extreme to us is really paving the way for open dialogue and conversation. And the church must engage culture on cultural issues without any kind of fear or anxiety or hesitation. Because people really want to talk about it, and in a lot of cases, people are really looking for honest answers. And we have them. We have them. If we will speak truth into their situation from a biblical perspective, we have all of the right answers for them. But what keeps us from speaking truth in a loving and gracious way into the curiosity of our culture? What keeps us from doing that? I think the answer to that might be different for all of us. Some of us might be afraid of that. For some of us, it might make us anxious to do that. And maybe for others of us, we don't know enough to do that. We're not well-studied. We're not well-schooled. And so we shy away from those conversations because we're afraid that we're going to get a question that we can't answer, maybe. Or maybe it's our anger at what's going on in the world today. Maybe we have a real hard time separating people from what they say they believe or how they say what they believe. And we're so filled with anger and venom that we can't lovingly and graciously engage people who maybe even hold anti-Christian positions because we let that be a stumbling block and we don't have victory over our emotions. There's a lot of curiosity out there today, and there's a lot of confusion, but Jesus speaks truth into that in these people. We must find a way to do the same. Both of these people were lacking knowledge. Have you ever talked to anyone lately who's lacked good sense and knowledge? Look, the confusion abounds. We, we, we have people out there who are confused about a lot of things who need to know what God has to say. Jesus took the time in the middle of the day, late at night, to speak truth into the curiosity and confusion of people 
around him. Number two, Jesus obviously came and showed love, not condemnation. I love those verses in chapter 3. Do you remember those? They were read earlier for us. You know, I look at verse 16 and I go, man, I, want, I would have wanted to have been in a conversation with Jesus where he shared one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. Wouldn't that have been cool? Well, Nicodemus had that opportunity. Jesus speaks John 3.16 to Nicodemus. I, I, I would want that, that uh, event to happen in my life and that experience. And he goes, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because they were condemned already. They didn't need condemnation. They needed salvation from their sin. And Jesus comes and he brings that. He does speak in strong terms to the religious elite and arrogant people of the day. But when he was talking to common sinners who were not arrogant, he speaks lovingly and graciously and not with condemnation. May we all pursue that same mindset as we engage people in our culture today with love, not condemnation. Now, let me be quick to say this. It doesn't mean that you take a weak stand on the issues of the day. It doesn't mean that people can't tell what you really believe about the issues of the day. You can say with convincing authority that you believe in what the Bible teaches about gender. You can say that you're assigned gender that God gave to you and that is evident at birth is who you are, and that should never be changed. You can take that position and take it strongly and still engage people without condemning them, even if they disagree with that issue on gender. You can do the same thing with marriage, that God created us in His image. That means He made some male and some female, and that He instituted marriage, and that His plan for marriage is one woman, one man for life. That was His first plan for marriage. It's okay to say that. It's okay to say that with authority and convincingly. We can't water down what we believe and call that love. That's not love. That's actually hate. If you, because of pressure from the culture, change your position on truth into something that is less than truth, you don't love people very much because you don't care about them enough to share truth with them. We don't compromise in the name of love. That's not love. But we're also not sent into the world to condemn people. They're already condemned. We can take all the right positions and not be condemning in our approach to people as we talk to them about Jesus, and that is exactly how the church should relate to them. Some would make the case that Nicodemus should have known better. In fact, Jesus kind of does that in a nice way in the text by asking a question. But that didn't keep Jesus from further engaging him. Some say that the woman at the well was living in sin and they would have ignored her. She was ignored for a few reasons. She was a woman. She was a Samaritan, right? And she was incredibly immoral in her life. Jesus didn't ignore that. He engaged her without condemnation. Now, he didn't skirt around it, and he called it what it was, and he lovingly confronted her with it, but he didn't condemn her for it. She had already condemned herself. She's already in condemnation. 
You see, all of our outreach must be driven by a love for God and for the people who need to know His amazing grace. Outreach is not a chore or a duty. It's an outpouring of the undeserved love that we receive freely at the cross of Jesus. It is truly beggars showing beggars where to find bread. And we can't ever forget that. We look into the world and we see what we would call just wickedness and evil, and we can't ever let this fact escape our minds that except for the grace of God, there go I. All of us were saved from sin who know Jesus now. And truly, we must remember that as we show love and not condemnation. The next thing is this. Jesus was a very good listener, wasn't he? Very good listener. He engaged people in conversation for the sake of learning where they were and listening to them so that he could answer their questions and speak truth into their reality. Jesus listened well to their questions. As we help people move to God, we need to listen. We need to invite questions and really hear what people are wondering about. Defensiveness is never helpful, but focused listening is essential. You see, I'm passionate about this point because in my training for ministry, I was really trained in a one-size-fits-all evangelistic approach. It was kind of a cookie-cutter situation. It was this. We go out in the world, and our goal and our desire is to get as many people as possible to pray what was called the sinner's prayer. So we do whatever it takes to get them to repeat these words after us, and they're saved. And we count them, and we try to get them baptized, and we try to get them involved in the church as quickly as possible. But the main goal is just to get them to say a prayer. And so you don't worry about their life. You don't worry about who they are. You don't worry about where they are. You just go after this, and you try to get them at all costs. It's almost like a salesman trying to get somebody to buy a product. And I'm just being frank. That's the way I was taught to share the gospel. That's where I came from. Now, today it's much different for me, but that's where I come out of it. That's why I'm passionate about this, because that's not authentic evangelism. Authentic evangelism is motivated by a love and concern for individuals. Understanding and knowing that their situations are all different, and you are speaking truth into a context that could be drastically different from the next. It means paying attention and listening well, inviting their individual questions, and providing truth as answers. Jesus does that. He does not adopt a one-size-fits-all evangelism. He responded to individuals appropriately every time. A good listener. Next of all, Jesus would talk theology, wouldn't he? Because humanitarianism was not his primary goal. It was a tool. He fed people and he healed people and he ministered to people all for the sake of sharing the gospel and increasing their faith in him not just to take care of them. Again, those things aren't evil, but they're insufficient if left alone or if they become an end to themselves. So even being a listening ear is not the only essential. It's one essential. We must talk about Jesus and how one may have eternal life. That's the whole point. We're not going into the world just to feed people and build them homes and build them churches, build them schools and build them hospitals. We are there to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of those things are tools, but theology must come into play. We must talk about Jesus with them. 
Next of all, Jesus is a master at speaking the truth in love, isn't he? Jesus told Nicodemus that unless he was born again, he would not see the kingdom of heaven. He could have said that a little differently, couldn't he? If you don't believe what I'm telling you, you're going to go to hell. He could have said it that way, but he doesn't say it that way. He says, you know, this is the way to heaven. I love you. I want you to know the way to heaven. And you have to be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. That's critical. That's important. Let's talk about this more. He told the woman that the only way to have her thirst quenched was by taking living water. He could have said that differently too. But he said it in an inviting way to where she wanted to drink of the living water. She's still a little confused though because she thinks that that water is physical water and it had to be explained to her. But nonetheless, Jesus speaks the truth in love. Finally, we learn from Jesus that no one is off limits. Two different stories here, two different people. They're, they're different in their gender. It didn't matter to Jesus what his culture was saying about this lady who was immoral, who was living with a man that she wasn't married to, who was a Samaritan. Didn't matter. Did not matter. The rest of society would have cast her off. Jesus engages her. Didn't matter who she was in her gender, male, female, no matter, God through Jesus, engaged her, wanted her to be saved. Social status, too, comes into play. She had very different social status than, than did Nicodemus, right? He was educated, highly regarded. This lady, not so much. Race and ethnicity, he was a Jew, she was a Samaritan. And their past was drastically different. Nicodemus would have been brought up memorizing the law and knowing it well and teaching it. This lady would not have had any of that in her experience. Instead, it was riddled with sexual sin. Their past. No one is off limits for the saving power of the gospel. The person who disappoints you the most, who angers you the most, who repels you the most in our culture is the one who needs Jesus the most. And it doesn't matter who they are or where they're from. The church is called as they go about as individuals to make disciples of all of the ethnicities of the world regardless. Regardless. Totally abandoning self to do this Embracing it as really the, the only claim to continuance that the church has is making disciples and moving forward with principles like this to help, to help share the gospel. So I leave you with this today. These are my thoughts for you. And I, I invite you to, to consider the example of Jesus as someone who shared the gospel to look deeply in your own heart and analyze your own life and your relationships with other people in this world, to see if truly we are emulating and following and putting into practice this perfect example of Jesus for the good of others and for the glory of God. Let's bow in prayer and our worship team is coming. Father, thank you for your love that you showed to us through Jesus. Thank you for Jesus setting an example for us 
engaging people, using physical human things, daily dialogue to facilitate sharing the gospel. Thank you for this simple yet profound example. Help us to follow it. Help us to to do it well with urgency, with honesty, and with joy for your glory. In the strong and powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.